It is great to be with you this morning. I'm so happy to be able to fill in so Pastor Aaron and Lizzie can get away for vacation. That's awesome. And so it's great to be with you. You know, I think this is my third time here because um, I've, I've been here in Rutland going on three years. So uh, June will be uh, Wendy and our uh, three year anniversary of coming to Rutland to come in as the uh, director of uh, First Step Pregnancy Center at the time. And uh, since that time, since we started, we were able to, we bought a new building, moved to a better location. We got the ultrasound machine, so we, we can now see, uh, we can have the, offer the ultrasounds to our, our clients so they can see their baby on the, on the ultrasound screen. And we know that when we do that, nine times out of 10, they choose life for their babies. And we've, um, we've added staff. We added Kirsten uh, Terenzini as our administrative assistant, and she did such a great job. We promoted her to a marketing director. And then we've also um, just recently hired um, Kat Andrews, who many of you know, as our um, sexual health integrity coordinator. So she'll be going into high schools and middle schools and church youth groups and teaching about sexual integrity from, uh, from God's point of view. And so we're very excited for all that God has been doing. And um, then COVID hit and things slowed down a little bit. But um, now that things are opening up again, we're, we're back to seeing clients. And, and one of the things that we're, we're thinking about is, um, you know, the, the Great Commission, you know, what's the first word in the Great Commission is go, right? Um, so we're to go into all the, all the nations. And, and, and we look at, at first step in the same, same way in that we are to go to them, not just wait for our clients to come find us, but we need to go to them. And so by going into the high schools and, and teaching about sexual integrity and, and about abstinence and, and what abortion really is and, and the, the, the dangers of, of sexually transmitted uh, diseases and all, uh, going to them is, is really important. And then we've also added another program which we're launching this year where we're going to victims of sex trafficking so that we can rescue them, get them out of that lifestyle into a place of, of safety where they can recover and, and find, find wholeness. So we're going to them. And so we're excited about what God is doing. Um, we've seen lives saved because of the ultrasound, and we're just so excited to, to be here. So now, you know, coming up on a three-year anniversary, uh, Wendy and I, we're just excited to be a part of the Rutland community. We're excited to be visiting churches, and, and um, we have uh, we purchased a home uh, two years ago as well. And, and so, so tomorrow, I won't be at a, at a, a fun picnic. I will, I will be scraping the side of my house, about 30 feet up in the air, scraping, getting ready to paint. And it's, it's like you do all this scraping. They tell you, you do all that with a, a five-in-one tool, you know, which is like is two inches wide. And I'm like scraping the whole house. So anyway, last year we did the front of the house. This year we're hoping to do the sides in the back. And and then it'll be done. It will be time to start over again. But anyway, then we got to work on the inside. So, so, so yeah. So I'm Dave Wilkinson. I'm the director of First Step Pregnancy Clinic, and um, and I want to talk to you today about life, right? So that's that's a shocker, right? I'm the pro-life guy talking about life, um, but life is important. Every life matters, right? Uh, without life, well, you'd be dead. So life matters. And John 10.10 10 tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. So what is the abundant life? 
That's what I'm going to talk about today. So the word life is used over 450 times in the Bible, so it's an important word. In the Old Testament, God talks about being the author, the creator of life. Um, in Deuteronomy, um, Moses says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. In the New Testament, we know Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. But what does it mean to have an abundant life? Is it a rich, pain-free life? Is it, uh, is, is it a busy life? Is it a perfect life? I don't think so. One of your life feels more, it's more about abundant pain and abundant suffering and not abundant joy or abundant peace. Or is the abundant life only about heaven? Or is it something we can experience now? And in today's climate, is it a threat to Christians living with abundance? What about living, living out our pro-life values where every life matters and, and is deserving of, of protection from the moment of conception? So that's what we want to talk about today. And we're going to do that by, by looking at what the Bible says about the abundant life and about uh, Jesus as the good shepherd. So I'll be reading from uh, John chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. And I'll be reading from the New International Version, and you can follow along. Um, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the, good I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Well, what can this passage teach us? Well, I think the big takeaway is the abundant life is only possible through a relationship with the Good Shepherd. And the takeaway number two is that Jesus is that Good Shepherd. He's the shepherd and we are the sheep. So a little bit of context. And talking about uh, in the biblical times, it was a very agrarian society, right? Um, so they understood all this sheep talk. 
right? They knew shepherds. Many of them had sheep of their own. They understood the idea of God referring to himself as the shepherd of his people. They were familiar with David, right? The, the shepherd boy who became king. I know you, if you grew up in Vermont, you're very familiar with sheep, right? You, you, there, there are sheep farms aplenty in Vermont. Uh, for me, I grew up in Los Angeles, right? And so the, so the, the only sheep that I was aware of personally was, was by going to a petting zoo or, or watching the movie Babe was, was pretty, much, pretty much it. But what can we learn from this passage? Well, number one, we know that the good shepherd loves the sheep, right? It says he knows them by name. Verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. This is intimate. This is personal. This is available. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows your fears, your hopes, your dreams. He knows your failures, and he loves you anyway, right? We celebrated Easter not too long ago, a few weeks ago, and, and my favorite part of the resurrection story, I mean, there's lots of good parts in the resurrection story, right? Jesus rose from the dead. He paid for our sins. Um, but I love the part in the resurrection story where he appears to Mary, right? And, and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks maybe he's the gardener. And, um, but when does she realize that that is really Jesus? When he calls out her name, when he says, Mary. She heard that, she heard her name, and she instantly knew, this is my Lord. This is Jesus. In the same way, he knows your name. It is loving. It is tender. The fact that he knows us that intimately. Isaiah 43.1 says it this way, Fear not, for I have redeemed you or bought you back. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. We belong to God. We are his children. If we've called upon him and we belong to him, that meets our very deep need of belonging. Now, I have a friend who's a psychologist, a Christian woman, and she defines, she defines intimacy like this. She says it's being fully known, fully loved, and having no fear of rejection. That's a, good, that's a good definition of intimacy, to be fully loved, fully known, no fear of rejection. You know, I grew up without a dad, and so my deepest fear was being abandoned, um, to, to, be, to be alone. But God knows that about me, and he meets me there. He loves us. He knows us by name. Secondly, he leads us. Verse 4 says, he leads them out. When he has brought them out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So you can drive cattle, but you have to lead sheep. And the good shepherd goes before you to protect you, to guide you. He, he knows where the good pastures are to lead you there. And he knows where the dangers are. He knows where the cliff is so you don't fall over. He goes before you. And the sheep trust the shepherd's voice because they know he loves them. And they recognize his voice. And then thirdly, he sacrifices for them. Verse 9 says, he, is the, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So the shepherd literally was the gate for the sheep, right? There, there'd be a, an enclosure or a pen made out of rocks or, or, or sticks or logs, I guess. And, uh, and, and there would be an opening for the sheep to go in and out. But at night, the shepherd would literally sleep in that doorway, that opening, and literally become the door or the gate for the sheep. 
So if, if a robber wanted to come in, he would literally have to step over that shepherd in order to get to the sheep, and that would wake him up, and then he could protect the sheep. And so Jesus literally is that door to the sheep, the only way to the, to the Father. And so this speaks of salvation, right? That, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that we have to go through him. We can't find salvation some other way. We can't dig under. We can't go out. There's no back door. It's only through Jesus. And so, so Jesus being the door of the gate is about salvation. But I think it's also about security and peace and freedom because it says they could go in and out and find pasture. So, so because they knew the shepherd cared for them and was looking out for them and was the door, they could go in and out and find pasture. They, 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 there was a sense of peace, a sense of freedom and security. They were literally care less because they knew that the shepherd cared for them. So they could go in and out. And then, and then it says, um, so he sacrifices for the sheep. And then it goes on to say that he, he lays down his life for them. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so the, the shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. We're very familiar with uh, chapter 15 of, of John, where it says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. We think about that on Memorial Day weekend, about those who laid down their lives for their, our country. But Jesus is the only one who lays down his life for us, that we might have eternity with him. And so I love this in, in, in chapter 13, where... Verse 13, where he says, greater love is known this, that, that one laid down his life for his friends. And then it's like the, the disciples don't really get that. Like, well, who's, who's he talking about? And so he goes on to say, you are my friends. And they, oh, if you do what I command you, if you follow me. And then it's like they still don't get it. So, he, so then Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends because I chose you. And so we are his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. And verse 17 and 18 says that he has the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. In other words, he does it voluntarily. Jesus is not a victim. And this passage proves to us how much he loves you, that he willingly laid down his life for you so that you could have life in him. And so the obvious application, number one, would be, do you know the good shepherd personally? Are you a part of his flock? Have you entered through the gate, through Jesus, through the only door to abundant and eternal life? But for believers, there's another application. You know, do you recognize his voice? Are you following his lead or are you off on your own? And when he calls you by name, do you recognize his voice or do you ignore it? The second thing we learn from this passage is that the good shepherd protects his sheep. And, and why would he do that? Why would the good shepherd do that? Well, I think mainly because the sheep need it, right? They needed protection, right? They're very vulnerable, very defenseless kind of creatures. You know, they kind of, we all have that fight or flight, you know, um, response to, to danger, right? We either run away or we, or we fight if we feel, if we're, if we're able. But, but I think as far as fight, fight or flight, um, the sheep, you know, they, they don't do either one of those very well, right? They, they, they don't have the teeth of a lion or, or the claws of a bear. They don't have the legs of a gazelle to run away. 
you know, they don't even have the community organizing abilities of a pack of wolves, right? So they're, they're pretty defenseless. Uh, their teeth are only good for, for biting blades of grass, right? Uh, they're not good for fighting back. They're, they're basically uh, a bag of fluff with really short legs. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of helpless. They need a shepherd to protect them, a shepherd to guide them, to watch over them. They needed a safe pen to stay in at night with the shepherd's protection. So they're not only defenseless and, and vulnerable, they're, they're, they're kind of, sheep are kind of dumb, right? Some of you know, you know, you all know sheep. They're, they're, they're not the sharpest pet in the barn, right? Uh, I mean, horses, they're, they're pretty smart. Pigs, really smart. And my wife and I, before we came to, to, um, to Vermont, we were living in Boise, Idaho, and, and we, we had kind of a sheep little, little farm. We didn't have sheep. We had goats, we had llamas, and we had a house pig, right? And so, and, and he was really smart, right? He would come inside. He, he knew how to use the litter box. He knew his, he had his own bed at night. He knew where all the snacks were. You know, he was a really smart pig, you know, and, and my friends said we should name him like pork chop or bacon, you know, which that just seemed kind of mean, you know, it's his brother's pork chop. Um, so we named him Hamlet, right? So that's, that's better, right? So Hamlet. And, and he was, he was a great little, little house pig. He was a mini pig, um, a hundred pound mini pig, actually. Um, <clears throat> but he was smart, you know, so but much smarter than sheep. Sheep aren't very smart. Um, they are smarter than chickens. I mean, I will give them that. I mean, so, so they're not very smart. Um, and then also sheep tend to have a terrible sense of direction, right? They, they get easily lost, right? And, and, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're eating, the, you know, their heads down, following the blades of grass, and kind of wherever the grass goes, they just kind of go there. And then they, they look up and go, whoa, where am I? They have no idea where they are. They're just kind of lost. You know, it's, it's kind of like my wife in Home Depot. Um, she's just kind of wandering around, lost, looks up, oh, tile. Ooh, that's nice. And, um, and that's just kind of the way, the way it is. So sheep have a terrible sense of direction. They're easily lost. They look up and they don't know where they are. So they need someone to rescue them. Um, they're, they're also prone to wandering off, right? So they need rescue. You know, when Jesus talks about leaving the 99 to find the one, not only is that a testament to, to how much he loves that one, but it also reminds us that we can't find our way back on our own. We need someone to come and rescue and take us back home. Um, we sang just a few minutes ago, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I love that hymn because it is so true. Uh, the one part where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I don't know about you, but I am prone to wander. Even as believers, even when we, we truly love God, we still wander um, as part of our, as part of our, our human nature. And, and that's not an excuse. So, oh, I wandered and I just end up in some place where I shouldn't be. It's not my fault. No, we have responsibility, but it is reality. We need to know what our vulnerabilities are. And then when we are wandering, we need to cry out to the Lord and we need to repent and return to the fold. So the good news is that God knows when we're wandering and he'll search us out. He'll find us. He'll bring us home. We need to cry out to him if we've wandered off the path. Verse, Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
No, I think when God compares us to sheep, you know, usually we take that as an insult, you know, um, sheep being vulnerable, defenseless, not very smart. Uh, it seems insulting, but I think it's rather comforting because he knows what we need and he meets us. He knows who we are and he meets us right where we're at. Secondly, the second reason why the good shepherd needs to protect the sheep is because the sheep faced real enemies. And we have enemies today as well. There are the thieves who, who steal the sheep. They, it says, very truly, I, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and, and a robber. So Jesus is referring to the Pharisees, and I think we can, we can uh, the principle applies that it applies to false teaching and deception, that people will try to lead us away from the shepherd, from Jesus, with false teaching. So that's why we need to know the word of God. False teaching will separate us from the shepherd. Verse 5 says, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so the obvious application there is, is don't follow every voice or every trend you hear. I'm not sure God speaks through TikTok. <laughs> and we need to learn to recognize the shepherd's voice and reject any voice that doesn't line up with the Bible. The voice of the shepherd is the voice of truth. And so, and so there, there are thieves that would try to steal the sheep, and then there are wolves that will try to kill the sheep, that will attack and, and go after the sheep and go after the weak, the injured, the, the most vulnerable. Separate that lamb from the rest of the flock and go after that one. You know, that's, that's Satan's old divide and conquer scheme. If he can get us on our own, get us isolated from the rest of the body of Christ, isolated from the shepherd, then we're easy prey. So that's why we need to stay connected to the church, to the body of Christ. We need to stay in the center of the flock and, and not be out on the fringes. And we need to stay close to the shepherd's heart, you know, so that we don't become wolf bait. And that'd be a t-shirt, you know, don't be wolf bait, you know, would be a good t-shirt. And, that, and that's why we're launching the sexual integrity program into the schools, which we call Apex, which is about reaching, helping students to reach the heights of their God-given potential. And so we need the sexual integrity program into those high schools to protect the lambs. So that's why we're doing that. And then thirdly, there's the hired hand who seeks to destroy the sheep. So thieves steal, wolves kill, and hired hands destroy the sheep. How do they do that? It says in 12 and 13, the hired hand is not the shepherd who does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So the hired hand, it says he cares nothing for the sheep. So he's just collecting a paycheck, right? It's just a, just a job to him. He doesn't care about the sheep. He's, he's more selfish. He's more self-centered, thinking about what's in it for me. You know, I'm, I'm here to collect a job. And so when, when danger comes, when there's a, there's a threat, like with a wolf, He's, he's going to weigh the risk. You know, is this worth the risk for me to put my life out there in order to protect these sheep that I don't really care about, that, you know, they're not my sheep? And so he decides no, and he, he runs away. He leaves his post. He abandons the sheep, leaving them vulnerable to attack. And then the wolf comes, scatters the sheep, and they are easy prey for the wolves. So he shows his true character that, that he doesn't care about the sheep. He was just in it for the money unlike the good shepherd who loves the sheep and sacrifices for the sheep. 
So the thief steals, the wolf kills, and the hired hands destroy. But ultimately, we know that our real enemy is the devil, that we are in a spiritual warfare, that the devil hates everything that the shepherd loves. And guess what? That includes you. <laughs> he hates you. God is the creator of life. The devil hates life. Man is the apex of creation, as we know from Psalm 8. Therefore, the devil hates God's highest creation, you and I. The devil is anti-life. Abortion was his idea. He's the one that thought child sacrifice was a good idea. Think about the slaughter of the innocents in Moses' day as well as in Jesus', Jesus day. The enemy would love to destroy life before it has a chance to be born, to grow, fulfill its destiny, become a threat to him. It is true that abortion is genocide. It is the American Holocaust. It is not about choice. It's also not health care. For someone to say they are a pro-choice Christian is an oxymoron. Because who are you aligning yourself with? You know, Roe versus Wade in January uh, was the 48th uh, anniversary of, of Roe versus Wade when abortion was legalized in America up until the moment of birth. And since that time in 1973, over 63 million lives have been lost. And an equal number of moms have been hurt. But 63 million, you know, that's such a large number, it's really hard to even fathom that number. So one way that I think of it is that 63 million, that is more than the total population of the entire Midwest, you know, which, in, which is 12 states. That, that includes major cities like Chicago, Minneapolis, Detroit. The entire Midwest has about 57 million. So that's less than the numbers lost to abortion. The entire population of Canada is 38 million. It's almost half of what have been lost. But every child conceived, no matter what circumstances they find, and if the parents were married or unmarried, young or old, even in cases of rape or incest, if that child was conceived, that baby has value, being created in God's image, and deserves the right to be born. It needs the church to protect him, him or her. And you know who else has value? The woman facing an unplanned pregnancy, the single mom, the unwed mother, the dad. Also the woman who has had an abortion. They all need love and compassion and grace. That's why we're, we're launching our, our post-abortion recovery program for, for women. We'll be starting next week. And if you know anybody that has had an abortion in their life that, that they struggle with, they have regrets over, they, they haven't been fully healed from, uh, call us. And we'd love to get them plugged into that, to that group. My wife, Wendy, will be leading that, that class. So what, what cultural battles are we facing today? And, and I've shared some of this with you uh, when I was here a few weeks ago, but let me just kind of give, give you an update. Um, so there has been some good news on the pro-life front, um, and you've probably heard about this, the Supreme Court hearing uh, a Mississippi case uh, challenging the constitutionality of, of, of banning abortions after 15 weeks. 
So what Mississippi wants to do is they want to ban abortion after 15 weeks. And it's kind of an arbitrary number, that 15 weeks. But what Roe v. Wade decided is they said you cannot ban abortion prior to um, viability. So, and they, they said viability at 24 weeks. So they said you can have restrictions on abortion after 24 weeks, but not before. It's, it's kind of anything goes before 24 weeks. And so what they're saying is, no, it should, it should be 15 weeks. Because that 24-week viability, that, that line is very arbitrary as well. Um, because so the baby doesn't have value pre-viability, but it does after. Why is that the magical line? And so, and so they're challenging that. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, is in 1973, viability was at 24 weeks. Viability meaning that the baby can survive outside the mother's womb, you know, but with medical care. Um, that number keeps moving earlier and earlier. So now it's, it's routine for babies at 21 weeks to, to be viable, to, to survive. And it's getting younger and younger. And, and there have been babies as, as early as 15 weeks that have survived. And so, and so that number keeps, keeps changing. Plus, when they decided that Roe v. Wade, they, did, they didn't have the, the technology with, with ultrasounds and all um, to know that, that unborn babies, they feel pain. At 21 weeks, at 15 weeks, when the abortionist goes in there and, and grabs a leg and rips it off, that baby feels that pain. So they know, we know that now. And so that's a factor as well. And so if the Supreme Court rules that you can ban abortion at 15 weeks, as Mississippi wants, then the belief is that's going to open the door for other earlier restrictions on abortion, which would be very good news. And so, um, and so, uh, so far this year, there have been over 500 pro-life bills that have been introduced uh, in state legislatures, uh, 536 to be exact. Of those... 61 have been passed into law just since January of this year. Um, 26 states have passed bills restricting or banning late-term abortion. So again, those second and third trimesters, that's good news. Um, the bad news is that doesn't affect Vermont at all. Because in Vermont, the law is abortion for any reason or no reason is allowed up until the moment of birth. And so it's not going to change. In fact, Planned Parenthood released a uh, statement where they, they graded all 50 states and um, from the most pro-life, so their enemies, their number one enemies, the most pro-life states, number one was Arkansas, and then there were other states that were primarily the Midwest and, and in the South. Um, and then guess who number 50 was? Well, that would be, that would be Vermont as being the least pro-life state in the country and Planned Parenthood's best friend. So that would be us. And so what we're looking at um, locally is proposal or Prop 5, which would amend the Vermont Constitution. So again, they already say that you can have an abortion in Vermont for any reason or no reason up until the moment of birth, but that's not enough. They want to put it in the state constitution so that in the event that Roe v. Wade was overturned, it wouldn't affect that state law. So in other words, what Vermont wants is unlimited, unrestricted, unregulated abortion for any reason up until the moment of birth. And they call this 
under the misnomer of personal reproductive autonomy. It doesn't even say the word abortion in that bill. And so when it talks about personal reproductive autonomy, and this is going to be on the ballot in November of 2022, um, it's going to most likely pass unless the church steps up and opposes that Prop 5. We know it's a slippery slope, right? Because already it says you, you, can't, you can't restrict abortion because of Down syndrome or other, other disabilities. You can't restrict abortion because of sex selection. So sorry, ladies, they're the ones most likely to be aborted. It also opens the door to assisted suicide, infanticide, euthanasia. In fact, with infanticide, they even, they even call, uh, they call it um, post-birth abortion. So after the baby's born, can be left to die if that's what the parents choose. So those are some of the battles that we're facing. So not only Prop 5 in Vermont, but also H-268, which is an attempt in Vermont to legalize prostitution, calling it sex work, basically saying, if, if, that's, if it's a woman's right to her own body, and if that's how she chooses to, that's her career choice, how she wants to make a living, then we should just kind of let her do that, and if she makes money, then great for her. But the truth is, nobody chooses that as a career choice. But they are forced, they are coerced, they are desperate, and we need to help them. Um, and so you're going to see an increase in sex trafficking, and that's why we're launching this program to address the issue of sex trafficking. This, this H-268 is also known as the, um, the Pimp Protection Act, right? Because it just decriminalizes prostitution. We need to prosecute pimps, traffickers, exploiters, as well as the buyers while protecting the victims and helping them find healing and recovery and a new life in Christ. That's why we're launching Steps to Freedom which will reach out to the victims of sex trafficking. And you'll see that in the fall. And, and, and Lizzie is very involved in helping with that, with that task force. So on the national scene, what we're seeing is, is all of the pro-life gains, which we, which we were able to accomplish over the past four years, four and a half years, um, is now being undone by the current administration. We've already seen the Mexico City policy undone so that your tax dollars are paying for abortion in other countries. You okay with that? I'm not. Um, it's also removing conscious and protection, uh, conscious and religious protection so that doctors and nurses are, will be forced to perform or assist in abortions. Uh, also offer contraception in healthcare, uh, such as the uh, Little Sisters of the Poor, a group of nuns having to do that, um, and things like that. I'm missing a page here. There it is. Um, other, other changes in the, the national laws we're seeing is a change in Title X funding, which prevented tax dollars from being used to fund abortions domestically. That's being undone. So that what that basically means is more, more money to Planned Parenthood, who recently boasted in their annual report that they perform over 345,000 abortions every year this past year. And, and they're getting millions from the government. And then Joe Biden just passed uh, his, his budget, which did not include the Hyde Amendment, which, which would prohibit funding to pay for domestic abortions. So again, more money to Planned Parenthood, to abortion clinics, your tax dollars at work. Um, current administration has also um, now allowing medical research 
using aborted baby, uh, aborted baby parts for medical research, whereas Trump had disallowed that. Now it's being allowed again. And, um, and in fact, they disbanded the ethics committee that oversaw this kind of medical research. So when, when they disband the ethics committee, you know, that's not a good idea. Um, President Biden essentially wants to make, and he has said this, that he wants to make abortion the law of the land, again, saying uh, overriding and nullifying all those state restrictions so that you have unlimited, unrestricted abortion through all nine months. That's the battle that we're facing. That's the battle. And so the, the obvious application for all of us then is we need to pray and resist the devil so that he will flee from us. We need to speak out on defense of those who cannot speak for themselves and for the women being hurt by abortion, by sex trafficking. We need to do what we can on the legislative side by speaking out, and we also need to, to pray because it is spiritual warfare. The other thing to think about when in talking about the devil coming to steal, kill, and destroy, what has the devil stolen from you? Has he stolen your joy? Has he stolen your peace? Has he stolen your dreams? It could be a child from an abortion, but it could be something else. It's not abortion related. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but God is bigger. God has got a redemption. He is able to bring healing and even good things out of the brokenness in our lives. He restores hopes and dreams. He gives new dreams to us. So the abundant life isn't a worry-free life or a stress-free life or a problem-free life, but it is a life where the good shepherd shows up and brings beauty out of the brokenness and ministry out of the misery. So the good shepherd loves his sheep, the good shepherd protects his sheep, and then finally, the good shepherd saves his sheep. In verses 14 to 18, it, it speaks about Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost, right? The lost sheep. And his ultimate goal is to have one flock and one shepherd where we are together forever. So we learn from this that Number one, the abundant life is both eternal and temporal, right? It's on earth and in heaven. It is the now and the not yet. It's about a quantity of life, eternity, but also a quality of life with him in this earth. As a believer, your eternal life started the moment you accepted Jesus into your life. And that continues forever. That's why they say death is not final, it's a transition. We also learn from this passage that the abundant life is universal. It's talking about true unity here. And that's why we honor what's going on in other churches. We're not competing with them. God's redemptive plan is to have one flock and one shepherd. So he says, I have, I have sheep of other flocks, and I'm going to gather them all together to have one flock and one shepherd. That's why we're building the big K kingdom, not the little K. It's been said, I'd, I'd rather have a small part in a big story than a big part in a small story, right? So I'd rather have a small part in Jesus's story, because that's big, rather than a big part of my own story, which would be very small. And then, and then lastly, the abundant life is efficacious. And I say that because Pastor Aaron said to use at least one big theological term somewhere in your sermon. No, <laughs> so it's effic efficacious. In other words, it's effective. It worked. What Jesus said he did, he did accomplish. That's why on the cross he said to tell us die, it is 
finished. So the work on the cross is effective. So the conclusion is feeling loved, feeling protected and cared for, being redeemed by the good shepherd. That is the abundant life. It's not about an accumulation of stuff. It's not about having a fat bank account or all the latest toys, but it's a life lived in intimacy and connection with Jesus. You know, it's hard to talk about um, Jesus as the good shepherd without at least once referring to Psalm 23. It says in verse one through three, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That is the good shepherd. He provides for us. He protects us so that we have no fear. He gives us peace as he leads us beside quiet waters so we have rest. He pardons us. He forgives all of our sins. He gives us purpose so that we are living with purpose on purpose. This is a daily dependence on the shepherd. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily intimacy and friendship with God. And that is the abundant life. Amen.